Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai. Also, great pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee and a fabulous. Service department, inspections, routine maintenance, the difficult. They take care of it all. It's one-stop shopping. It is all at our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Andrew Marshan reporting that... uh, Guess what? Um, ESPN might try to pursue Al Michaels, even though Michaels is uh, supposed to be in deep negotiations with Amazon. Okay. No, well, I mean, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Supposedly they're satisfied with their Monday night crew. Um, Fred Goddelli, by the way, is going to Amazon. That uh, could be an influence. Okay. Oh, yeah, then Fred it's Goddelli's over. There. Yeah. Fred Goddelli's there. Then uh, that's somebody that um, uh, Al Michaels is, you can just tell, is tremendously comfortable with. Yes. Yep. Why don't you mention that name? It's over. So, thought I'd mention it. All right. So, let's get to our play-by-play call of the day. Harris, he's looking to drive, flips, missed, follow good! What a shot by K.J. Adams! He came soaring in like Superman and somehow tipped it in. Our play-by-play call of the day as uh, Kansas in double overtime beat Texas Tech last night, courtesy of the Jayhawks Radio Network and Learfield. Learfield. All right. So let's get to um, a couple quick notes here. Uh, By the way, uh, Aaron Rodgers' outlet to talk to has always been Pat McAfee. Um, He was going to come on here, but you're so negative that it it totally costs us the opportunity. Um, It's just, I mean, what, what, what are you doing? Killing us, but um, he's not. He's given every indication that he's not retiring. Um, and going back to Green Bay, um, if it's not a rebuild, is a distinct possibility. Okay, that's a, essentially what he said today on the podcast with Pat McAfee. Pretty close. In other words, if you know if Green Bay decides they're going to rebuild and it just doesn't look good, you know the whole deal. Then you know then he you know he'll attempt to go someplace else. But it sounds like based on how he phrased it on the podcast today, that if they're not in a 
you know, rebuild, and, you know, that Green Bay would is definitely an option for him. How about that? So we'll leave it as loose as we can there a little bit, but that's what it sounded like. Uh, he would have come on here, but and we were this close, and then you made those snarky comments about him yesterday, and then for some odd reason he backed off. Yeah, it just shows his true character. Yeah, no, I wanted him on the show. All right, uh, so <laughs> I said, but but Aaron, it's it's not the Matt Catrillo show. I know, Steve, but you know, I just can't do it. Right. <laughs> he's so he's just he's so negative. I said, well, imagine what he's like in the staff meeting. He goes, oh. All right, let's bring in Neil Kulong now, sir. Welcome. I know a bit wounded, but great to have you with us. Do we have Neil there, sir? Well, we got some connection issues on on my end here, so we'll, let's. I, I told him to go to your end. Uh, wonderful. Boy, thank God there is my end to deal with. Yeah. Boy. Oh, what's going on this week? Well, maybe if we were less snarky and more on the ball. No. <laughs> I'll just blame it on it. Aaron Rodgers. He's screwing up the system. You gotta give here. me credit. Oh, give I me do. Credit. I quick. always do. How uh, quick? No matter what, and no matter the conditions, he'll always throw the heavy innings. That's Neil Kulong, sir. Welcome. Yeah, it's great to be here as always. I hope, uh, hope things are, are well over in your part of the world. So far, so good, my friend. And uh, so let's talk about Keith Butler. Uh, near the end, Dick LeBeau wasn't calling defenses. Near the end, Keith Butler wasn't either. Yeah, it's... It, this opens up a lot of things that have been happening for a, a while, and it's not necessarily uh, public-facing information, and it's not even necessarily that it, it's a big deal one way or another. But um, a head coach, certainly one who's been around for a long time. Uh, in this case, let's take Sean Payton. Sean Payton uh, is retiring or quitting literally as we're talking now. Right. Sean Payton has been calling plays in New Orleans for a very long time. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a secret. It's not something they necessarily divulge or dive into. But uh, Mike Tomlin has been as successful as Payton. Uh, he is more of a defensive uh, uh, coach and has been. He took that role over um, probably after Dick LeBeau left because Dick LeBeau is a legend, and no offense, but Keith Butler is not. Tomlin is the one who was held to a certain standard. He's the one who was paid a lot more money. And the coordinators tend to report to the head coaches. So Tomlin, um, if you want to call it this, pulling rank and saying, I'm going to call the defense on a, a first-year coordinator really shouldn't be seen as all that much of a surprise. It kind of depends on uh, who the coach is and how they want to do things, but it's, it's not out of, the, out of the ordinary at all to have coordinators who don't call plays in the NFL. A lot of them don't, especially with like the veteran coaches. You're going to see that pretty often. It's not all the time, but it, it's not a surprise that Mike Tomlin has been calling defensive plays. Um, what I would challenge people with is, is asking how much that really matters. If Tomlin was the defensive coordinator, why is Keith Butler there at all? 
He obviously was. He's obviously being paid. He must have some role, right? Instead of giving us his, his wonderful half an hour long press conferences every week, there's something <laughs> they expect him to do. He is putting together all of the defense based on what they have. Um, he is, is making sure the position groups know what the bigger picture is, what they're trying to accomplish. He's aware of the depth at every position. He has to know all that stuff so he can draw up what's there, what they're going to do. And all of this stuff is decided in the off season. They don't do it week to week. You don't just change your defense week to week. You have to have stuff that you've practiced, that you are aware of, that you're comfortable with. It's not as easy as you know, taking a 700-page playbook and scrolling to a page and, and throwing your finger on it. You have to know what you're up against. But to get to that point, you need to do a lot of work. That's what the coordinator is doing most of the time. Tomlin is working in concert with Butler and to some degree with Matt Canada as well to go over what they want to do for each opponent during the season. In the off season, it's what we're good at, what we want to build strategically, how we want to improve this team, what we're going to do. So they're, they're laying the foundation for all of that. The head coach is involved every step of the way of both of those processes. And to, to suggest otherwise is a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what NFL teams do and how they are structured. So it, it's the only, the only thing here in my mind is that the reveal, which wasn't intentional, it was not done by a current Steelers employee, mm -hmm. that Mike Tomlin was calling plays. That's something that, frankly, we've known about, but it's not something you, you talk about openly because it just the team probably doesn't like it all that much. The idea, more than anything, is they're working on these things together, and there is not a team in the NFL in which the, the head coach is oblivious to what one side of the ball is doing. Right. They're involved in everything. So um, if, if it is Tomlin calling the plays, which I know that he is, um, he's the one leading that on game day. But Butler is primarily responsible with putting all of the plan together based on the general philosophy of the team, which is a, a, it really it's a Kevin Colbert thing, along with Mike Tomlin. Mm -hmm. And for the Steelers, Rooney is involved with that as well. So they, they have a partnership, they have a collaboration, and they've operated like that for a long time. They're comfortable with it. Um, the results some degree, except for this year, have been pretty good on the defensive side of the ball. So I would imagine that uh, they don't want to bring in a, a first-year coordinator and have them call plays over Tomlin. I think he's there for a reason. They gave him an extension for a reason. This is what he wants to do. That's what they're going to do. Okay, so we've now watched um, in this era there have been the 11 overtimes uh, Ten of which the team that won the coin toss won the game. Seven of those eleven, the team that won the coin toss won the game in their first possession. That includes Sunday. So those are the stats. Just so everybody knows. So calling tails is the biggest mistake Josh Allen made the entire week. Uh, the NFL is the only professional sport that I know of where both teams don't get shots at it. Should the NFL change its postseason overtime rule? I think it, it, it's a really layered subject. And the stats don't lie. That's kind of the thing. I'll, I'll say this. Um, if, if we were to ignore the output that we've seen to this point, I would say primarily this is an issue of fatigue. It's an issue of injury risk. And it's an issue of broadcast partners wanting to get on with the sweetest plum, which is the postgame show. Whether we as fans like that or not, 
you have to respect that the league is in this for a profit and the networks are paying over a decade billions of dollars now uh, for the rights to these games. They want to make that money back. Yeah. So that's the direction the league wants to go. It's going to operate accordingly. And at the same time, I don't think that it diminishes the product on the field very much. And I can say that because as fun as the game was, there is a difference between arguing for fairness versus arguing for entertainment. I would have liked to have seen the game go on. You know who wouldn't? Probably every player that was on the field at that point. Right. Playoff football is not a walk in the park. It's not leisurely and fun the way that the fans think that it is. It's brutal. And those teams were they were beating each other up pretty badly. Right. You saw it. It's, it's, it's not... Here's another thing. I'm not trying to go off the rails here, but... Oh, no, go ahead. No, we're, we're having fun with it. <laughs> it's great to see a great player like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes making plays. The defenses were gassed. Both of them were just dead. I agree. Okay? I agree with you, that. You saw Mike Hughes. His ankles might have broken. I'm not sure. It wasn't a great move to his inside. He's completely dead. Okay? He's tired. Yep. That's why he slipped and fell. I have no clue what Leslie Frazier was calling at the end of the game. I have no clue. That's not great football. Just because Travis Kelce makes a 25-yard play does not mean it's a great play. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, People get stuck into this mindset that offense means quality. The end of that game, objectively, was terrible. It was really, really bad. So the idea that somehow or other, from a, a metaphysical level, Josh Allen was owed a possession in overtime makes zero sense to me at all. It, it's Yes, it comes down to a coin toss. I don't know where you draw that line exactly. But I also know that football is an attrition game. Right. You take possessions, okay? You earn possessions. The coin toss thing, I get that it seems weird. I, give me another proposal that, that can make up for the fact that the players at the end of a, an extremely violent, competitive game are able to go out and play well. They're able to protect themselves as well. Basketball, mm -hmm. you can be fatigued for sure. You are not running nearly the risk of injury if you're tired in basketball as if, as if you are in football, okay? You can't do it all that much differently than what it is right now. You cannot have them play an entire other quarter of football. Uh, you can't shorten the clock and then give out possession to somebody. All of these things come with caveats that have legitimate problems that go beyond fan entertainment. That's why they have the system that they have. And I get that it seems silly, I don't think there is a better way to do it. I think there are a million different ways, and they're not going to change it year to year. They're going to want what appears to be the most reasonable outcome. To me, and I've said this before, to me, fair is a place you show pigs in August. Okay, It's not in football. That's not the way the game is designed. There's a coin toss at the beginning of the game that nobody cares about at all. The coin toss in overtime gets everybody up in arms because now suddenly – both teams deserve a chance to get the ball. I don't understand why. It's not Josh Allen's fault that their defense gave up 42 points, but it absolutely is the Buffalo Bills' fault. Who's the game being played for? The Bills or Josh Allen? Okay, it, it's, it's a team game. At some point, you have to step up and make a stop, and the Bills just flat out couldn't do that. Would that have happened to the Chiefs too? I don't know, maybe. So you flipped a coin. It's 50-50 for both sides. What else do you want to do? That, that makes sense. I, I have yet to hear a proposal that makes any sense. It covers uh, fatigue. 
It covers length of game. It covers safety. It's just there's not much else you can do. And I get that people are all up in arms, but this is just not. It, it's not worth it. At some point, you have to step up and, and stop a team from scoring. And clearly, um, Buffalo was not able to do that at the end. This is why we saw uh, the amount of scoring that we did at the end. It's not because just solely that Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are, are fantastic players. They are, no doubt. But they were playing against completely depleted defensive teams. It, it was over at that point. You hoped the game wouldn't have to go into overtime, but you can thank Buffalo for that again. That, that again, is their fault. It's not Josh Allen's problem, but I'm not putting the loss on Josh Allen either. I put the loss on the Buffalo Bills. Oh, no, the loss does belong to the Buffalo Bills, especially defensively, because you know you should be able to defend 75 yards in 13 seconds. Uh, so, <laughs> you should. Uh, it, it, you're talking to somebody who did nine overtimes <laughs> seven of which seven of which were two point conversions so, yeah, exactly. so I'm a witness <laughs> to and to be honest with you I think the two point conversion thing I know why they did it because LSU and Texas A&M from the 25 yard line did seven overtimes I understand that so it's one play one play one play one play but after Broadcasting it, it's ridiculous. It's just it, it's it's an arcade game, you know. Yeah, we're, we're playing well, video. It, we're playing a video game version of the sport right. that they just spent. It's penalty shots. It's yeah, it, it's P, it's, P, it's PKs in the World Cup. And that that I don't even need to get into that. I've had conversations with people about it. I'm not a big soccer fan. I, I respect the game. Yeah. I hate the fact that games like that end on penalty kicks. Now, yeah. to be fair. I don't know what else you could do in soccer. Oh it's no, not that, a sport that you score. So I mean, I mean you, you can't you, you can't sit there and start on Wednesday and on Friday they're still playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that could last as long as World War Two in some cases. You, yeah. you know, you have to be able to end it somehow. Um, it, it's beside the point, though. Football is the middle ground. It's not the scoring of basketball. It's not the scoring of soccer. In between that, possession is with the exception of one coin toss that decides the, the possession of the start of the first half and the second half, you are actively battling for possession. That is the game. So I, I don't know another way to do it. I've heard people say, well, the last team to score. Why? It's completely arbitrary. That has nothing to do with anything at that point. The last team to score could have been in the first quarter. You know, like look at the, the San Francisco Green Bay games. That went into overtime. Why would Why should San Francisco get the ball – because they block a punt and, and somebody fell out of the end zone. That doesn't mean anything. At least a coin toss is 50-50. But either way, whatever way you do this, you can argue it the same way that you do because you want the game to continue. It's whatever team is at fault. And to me, that that's not what this is about. The only way to do it objectively, and I, I understand how silly it is, is to flip a coin. And they, they get away with it to that degree um, should both teams have a possession? No. Why? You know, they, they do the most that they can to make sure in today's game, you can't three incomplete passes, chuck up a heave and pray 40 yards down the field, get a 55-yard penalty, and set yourself up for a 59-yard field goal to win a game in overtime. That's dumb. I think everybody would agree that that's a silly outcome to an overtime game on the first possession. Mm-hmm. The, you eliminate that possibility. Kansas City did not win the game because they won the coin toss. They won the game because they went 75 yards in four and a half minutes, and Buffalo did basically nothing to stop them that entire time. Right. 
Yeah. That, that's it. It's not the coin toss. It's your defense. And you lost. It's tough. I know. Kansas City lost the same way to New England a couple of years ago. Yes, I'm sure exactly. they were upset yes. about it then. Yep, exactly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. I get it. It's going to happen. I don't think there's a better way to do it. You know, I, I don't think that there is. But you know what? How about this? Root for the Baltimore Ravens. John Harbaugh doesn't believe in overtime. <laughs> he wants to win the game straight yep. up. Maybe that's the best way to do it. I'm not. Always a pleasure, my friend. I know you'll bounce back to 100% shortly. I'm going to. That's my plan. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to have Neil Kulong, and we're lucky I have his number. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. Ryan Snyder, final half hour. I have his number as well. As we continue, does the studio have anybody's number? Here on News Radio 1070 WK. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 630 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury. And Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the mm. Mm. out of auto repair. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Humble's Wharf Online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai. That's the best in new inventory with some great warranties, by the way. Great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors Guarantee. Sales staff that will work with you because your trade-in has never been worth more. And the service department with the ability to handle inspections with ease, to handle routine with ease, to handle the difficult with ease. It's one-stop shopping from the best in the business. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. Again, it was a revealing opening uh, half hour with uh, Matt, in which he said that based on his Yankees years, Alex Rodriguez should be in, but Barry Bonds should not. I, that's like, I kind of thought that was a little disingenuous. I, yeah, I don't quite, you know, Roger Clemens, because of his Yankee years where they won a couple, you know, they won a couple, he should be in, but because of his Toronto Red Sox years, he wouldn't vote for him. I don't, I don't you know, I'm a little confused. Nope, all out. Thumbs down. But how will you explain this to your children? That daddy is so mean. All don't right. cheat. <laughs> It's a very simple lesson. Don't cheat. No offense. You don't think there are a few guys in the that in in any Hall of Fame that are not quite 
See, I would I would deny them entry for five years, and then then say, okay, you know what, the area area you're suspected of, yeah, but the area previous. See, that five years now it means you're 10 years out, so I didn't give you the thrill of being a first ballot Hall of Famer, which on your numbers you should be. But at some point, I think you've got to look at it and say, okay, was Barry Bonds a Hall of Famer before he is suspected of? Okay, Nothing proven, but suspected of. Was Roger Clemens a Hall of Famer before he was suspected of, but never proven? We're doing a lot of things here on... Not even circumstantial evidence. Hey, now, do we suspect? Sure, we suspect it, but I'm still I'm guessing. I'm guessing. But see, I would deny them first ballot, but I think eventually, at some point, I'd say, yeah. You know, maybe I wait four or five years. Kind of make them twist in the wind a little bit, but then, but then after that, because believe me, there's there's a chunk of the people who are voting that aren't angels either. So, okay, <laughs> just my thought. They, um, I don't. I realize that you get uh, a cut of the action for each person to the guillotine. I understand. So this is actually more financial for you. I got that. <laughs> Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Hey, Matt, Matt brought another one. Here's a hundred. <laughs> Thank you. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. All right. <laughs> Just saying, that's how I would handle it, you know, because I'd like to see concrete evidence, which would keep me keep them out forever. There's a lot of guesswork here, because obviously people have hidden things. Now, with, with Alex Rodriguez, there's no guesswork. See my point? There's no guesswork with Alex Rodriguez. He tested positive. It's still only won one title with the Yankees. It just, it's unreal. No. Beat the Phillies, didn't they? Yeah. All right. That's not good. All right. So let's bring in Ryan Snyder on 3.com. Sir, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve well, Jones Show podcast not. is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, <laughs> North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 no, no, no. in Hummel's Wharf. Brian Snyder from On3.com. Ryan, how have you been? Good, man. We are in the final home stretch here before uh, National Signing Day, of course. So it's been a busy couple weeks, uh, but I can't complain, right? I'm not the one jetting across the country to meet with players. So uh, <laughs> the staff has it a lot harder than I do, right? I'm just trying to track them. So yeah. it's, it's been good. We'll get to some players here in a moment. I just want to ask you, as time has gone with this job, let's take the last couple of years. Obviously, each individual is uh, communicates in their own way. Some people are very open. Some are more closed-mouthed about it. What have you found the trend to be? Are people more open to talking to you about stuff, or are they a little more guarded uh, hmm. as time has gone? Good question. I would say this. Well, I try, uh, I try I, to come up with one once in a while. You do. You always get you get you get me one where it's like right off the bat. It's like oh, I got to think here for a second. Um, I would say this. 
as as compared so i started this 12 years ago compared to then it's a lot more messaging you know i like kids don't want to talk on the phone as much uh nearly as much and of course uh you know a decade ago we we weren't really there was facebook but there wasn't you know twitter and and instagram and all those other ways of communicating so uh, i would say that it's it's less um extensive interviews and more um you know, rapid, quick communication, uh, you know, here, here's where I'm visiting, but not really opening up about them. Um, now, of course, if you're a good journalist, right, you got to just figure out a way to, to get them to open up. And I, I try my best with that. But uh, I, I would definitely I sound like the old man right now, right? Like the, the kids that don't want to talk and, you know, all they want to do is text. And, and there is a there is a lot of truth to that, though. Um, but, you, you know, you just you got you got some kids who are awesome about it. And, you know, they, they really enjoy opening up and uh, you know, some who who just you know that's just not them. The one thing I will say though is that since NIL has started, I think a lot of a lot of players are are starting to understand um, how doing interviews and opening up and you know using social media in the correct ways uh, could really benefit them down the road. I was just talking to a player I don't know maybe two weeks ago about how like I mean basically he brought it up where. Does he enjoy doing interviews? No, not really. But he thinks that, um, you know, getting his name out there more, you know, uh, opening up about things and letting people know, um, you know, that he's a he's a well-spoken young man and, and you know, just kind of his character traits, uh, he thinks that will benefit him down the road. And I, and I totally agree. I mean, I, I definitely feel that uh, you, the way to benefit from NIL is, is for fans to really get to know you and no get doubt. to know your personality. And, and, you know, the, that really starts now when, when you're really a sophomore if, if, if in high school, if you're a superstar and, you know, for a lot of guys when they're upperclassmen. So I, I, I think that's, that's going to be something to really, you know, maybe changes my industry a little bit moving forward. Which now is the follow-up. The follow-up is this. How much better can you read somebody after you speak with them as opposed to reading a response? Night and day. I mean, I, I, I tell our message board people all the time where – I'll gladly be um, the third or fourth person to do a story on a player uh, if it means I get an interview with them. And, you know, a lot of my colleagues, um, you know, don't get me wrong, we all prefer to do interviews, but uh, a lot of people have just kind of switched to the whole, uh, I'll gladly take, you know, three sentence response on Twitter and, and, you know, do a couple of those and you can put out a story. And don't get me wrong, there's definitely times where that's all, that's the only option I have and I'm going to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're telling me that we can do an interview Saturday night after a junior day or Sunday night, Monday after the junior day, and you know we can actually um, do an extensive interview, of course, over the phone, uh, it's, it's no question. I'll, I'll gladly wait the 36 hours just because you learn so much more just from tone of voice and you know, how excited someone will get from mm-hmm. you know, when I ask about a coach or a particular part of the visit. Uh, there, there's so many different things that, that you can learn, especially if you're good at um, I don't want to say reading body language because we were talking over the phone, but you know, reading the right. tone of voice and, and how people, um, you know, just just get that get that out there. So yeah, I, it's night and day, man. I'll, I'll take a phone interview any chance I get. You know, one thing I'm not sure of on my end is, for example, if if an athlete is playing someplace and they've already, you know, 
I can talk about them in you know a highlight package or something like that. But if they go in the portal, do I can I do I have to stop talking about them? Uh, so, so I don't know. So I'll do this in general terms. There's a lineman from Cornell. A lot of people are going after. So where does mm-hmm. that stand right now? Yeah, Hunter Norzad, I believe Norzad. That's how I pronounce his last name. I apologize, Hunter, if I butchered that. But of course, he was up this past weekend for an official visit and. Hunter's one of those guys who has made it clear that he doesn't really want to open up much uh, about, uh, you know, and, and do interviews, which is fine. And and to be honest, a lot of the transfer portal guys, you know, they've been through this before. <laughs> they've met with the media after games. Uh, they want nothing to do with it, which I completely understand, right? It, you're not obligated to. Um, but from speaking with, of course, Penn State sources, they, they feel that they have definitely put their best foot forward here. Um, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. You know, we know James Franklin did an in-home visit uh, with Phil Troutwine, um, with, you know, Hunter and his family last weekend in Atlanta. And then Phil Troutwine today uh, was expected in Atlanta again to, to do an in-home visit uh, while Hunter's home. He'll, he will go back to Cornell here soon and finish out classes. Um, now, circling back to the visit, uh, we know Sean Clifford and, and Juice Scruggs uh, played a big part in that visit. I believe Juice was his true host. Maybe Sean was. One of them was. Um, but, uh, you know, I know they spent, spent a lot of time with those two, and, you know, Penn State sources felt like that, that came off well. Uh, as far as other schools, uh, we know he took an official visit to Illinois about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Then he also did an official visit to Auburn. Uh, I'm being told Auburn's not really so much in the mix anymore, uh, and really that, that this is going to come down to Penn State, Illinois, and Iowa. Uh, there was also supposed to be an official visit to Virginia Tech this week, uh, but that's not happening, and, and we know Iowa uh, will get that final visit over the, the upcoming weekend, and uh, we'll see what happens from there. So he, he can't enroll at any school until next spring. He, like I said, he, he will be a graduate transfer. Uh, when, when you do, what, uh, seven, uh, three-quarters of your time at Cornell, uh, you know, obviously you're going to get that degree, right? So he, he's going to finish off this semester. Um, so, and, and that means, and you know, he'll roll wherever in the May, uh, but that means uh, that he doesn't have to decide really anytime soon. But would I be surprised if this drags into March and April? I would. Uh, but really, I mean, this, this could drag out a bit. So official visit to Iowa this past, or this upcoming weekend, and uh, we'll see what happens there. Penn State, Iowa, Illinois, I think those are the three schools, and I, I, I think it's going to be Penn State or Iowa. Uh, when, it, uh, when you look at the, the portal, how deliberate is, uh, and careful has Penn State been? You know, they go into the portal, but – how how careful are they with the portal? You know, and, mm-hmm. they, and instead of just like, hey, we'll just bring in twenty and and hope five stick. Yeah, yeah, they're they're extremely thorough with it, and and they really are like that with twenty twenty two recruits at the end too. Yeah, uh, I think you know the portal wasn't around in the beginning of Franklin's tenure, right. but uh, in those first couple of years, and even going back to Vanderbilt, they were much more aggressive uh, at the at the end of these tenures. You know, kind of adding guys who. Maybe they were, you know, 80% on, but not 100% there. And as Franklin has progressed here, uh, that's kind of that's kind of changed a lot. And and really now, you know, if if they find someone that they're 80% on, uh, but maybe not 100% there, uh, they they'll 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 hold off. Uh, they they really try to make sure that that the whole staff is like, yeah, this is somebody we absolutely need to get. And I think you're really seeing that. Um, with the players that they target. Uh, for example, I mean, Hunter Norzad has been 
he's been one of their top guys for really feels like two months now. And right. Of course, Mitchell Tinsley, he wasn't in the portal that long, but as soon as he entered, I mean, they went all out. And yeah. there's a handful of other guys who, you know, we believe they're after, but it's kind of hard to confirm, of course. But um, we, they're, I feel like they're, they're always going to take the, I don't want to say laid back approach. What's the best word? Conservative is probably not the best word. But, deliberate. Uh, they, they just, yeah, they just want to make sure the whole staff yeah. in on it. Deli- and, and, they take a deliberate, careful, yeah. uh, calculated approach to what they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about that? So I'll be curious. I'll be, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I mean, of course, the, I'll, one another thing I'll add is you know, <laughs> the big position everybody's talking about, of course, is offensive line, and this is probably the hardest position to recruit in the portal, right? No I mean. If, if you are in a lead offensive tackle, you're not entering the portal. But even if you're a you know a mid-range offensive tackle and you do go in, you're going to get elite offers because it's just such a coveted position. So this is a really hard position to recruit in the portal. Uh, but Penn State's going to going to do it really every year because they know that you know even if it's a you know mid-tier guy who's you know been okay but not great, uh, it's easier to develop that player and get him on the field a lot quicker than taking a high school freshman all right junior day um you know i know penn state just you know they just signed a, a fabulous class on paper that we will now get to see come to fruition before our eyes starting with nine of them in the spring but they also felt like they laid tremendous groundwork on 23 so how mm-hmm. are things progressing there yeah well, of course, the class is coming along well. You know, they, 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 I think they're, the players they have committed, we have three four-stars um, and, and three three-stars. And really, uh, you know, I, I think two or three of those uh, three-star players, um, for example, I think Lamont Payne and Josh Miller really have the chance to move up. And I like Joey uh, Schlafer a lot, too. So their three-star guys are definitely guys that I, I could see moving up. Uh, and, of course, when you have Alex Birchmeyer, Neil Avery, and Matthias Barnwell, uh, three players who have been coveted by just about everyone. You, know, you, you can't ask for much more than that. Uh, when, when we go to junior day now, um, th- this past weekend was kind of a little bit of a, I don't want to say a, a smaller group. It, was, it wasn't as deep, I guess, when, when it comes to that elite talent. And, and from what I gathered, uh, there, there was a little bit of reasons for that. One, they had Hunter Norris out on campus. They, that is an incredibly important visit. They had to put the majority of their focus there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, two, they were just kind of aiming for January 15th and January 29th uh, to be those two huge events um, you know, where they get as much top-tier talent on campus as possible. And one thing I will say from talking to players is that they like it when they're on campus and other elite players are with them. Yes. So I think that's something uh, that they really try to do. I mean, they want to make sure that their top players are surrounded by top players when they come to events like this. So uh, that first weekend was 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 probably the best one so far between the two. Samson Oak and Lola's a, a top 50 uh, offensive tackle prospect. We, we have him at 0-3 as the number two um, tackle in the country. There's guys like Derek LeBlanc and John Walker who are really good defensive tackle prospects out of Florida. Tamia Robinson's a player I've talked about a lot out of Pittsburgh. I think he's probably one of Penn State's top three linebacker targets. And really that list goes on and on. I mean, there were 19 scholarship players on campus that weekend. Uh, uh, this past weekend was, yeah. was a little bit smaller. Um, you know, we I had five um, four-star players on campus, and I think the scholarship count was around 10. And really, it's, it's, it was a lot of players who I think, like out of out of those 10 guys, I think probably about uh, a handful of them really could probably end up here. But a lot of guys that I think they want the camp down the road, guys who they like a lot, but they want to get a measurement on, they want to see a move, whatever it may have been. Uh, and then, and then January 29th, of course, this upcoming weekend, 
uh, is what I expect to be probably the best of the three uh, when it comes to deep talent. Uh, do you want me to get into that, Steve? I feel sure, like I'm go ahead. going on. No, p- yeah. please. Yeah, so Nick Harbour is somebody everybody's talking about. Nick, did you see what Nick Harbour did this past weekend, Steve? The, the 2079, 200 meters? Do you yep, hear about that? I did. Yeah, incredible player, man. Uh, 6'5, 235 pound edge rusher. And, and, I mean, he just put up one of the fastest 200-meter times um, in the United States history with a, with a 2079. I mean, for, for example, I think the, the next fastest time over the past year was like a 22 mid-range. So, um, just, I mean, this, this is a player who realistically some people think could, could run in the Olympics someday. So uh, just talking about a, a heck of a player, and, and he is expected to be here this weekend. Uh, his sister actually graduated from Penn State, too. So there are some ties. Yep. Uh, but, again, this is a player who's going to be coveted by just about every school in the country. Uh, he's going to run track in college, too. So I'll be curious to see how, um, you know, the, that, that, that sprinter aspect of this really impacts them. Because, of course, if you're, if you're a top sprinter, I mean, a lot of those, lot of those guys train in the South. So I'll, we'll see how that impacts them down the road. Uh, Tony Rojas is a, is a top linebacker prospect. I'm expecting to be up here. I, just like Tamir Robinson, I, I would say he's probably a top three prospect uh, at that linebacker position and uh, somebody that they had on campus last year for a summer workout and just was, was absolutely excellent. So a lot of other guys here, too. I can talk about James Hurd, a great defensive end from St. Joseph's Prep. Uh, Sadir Mitchell and DJ Samuels are, are two pretty good defensive linemen mm-hmm. from Bergen Catholic. Jimmy Lyons is a, is a freak of an athlete from Roman Catholic. Uh, down in Philadelphia, and um, the list really is going to go on and on. So right now I have about a little over a dozen players confirmed, and it'll probably end up around 30 or so when it's all said and done. But I know they're aiming for this to be the, the big grand finale of the, of the January contact period, and yep. uh, it should be, a, should be a pretty deep group. Uh, one other note on the previous group, but Denai Dennis Sutton ends up being a five-star, mm-hmm. giving Penn State three five-stars. Your thoughts? Yeah. Man, he absolutely deserves it too. Yes. Yep. Um, of course, you know I was with Rivals for the longest time, and you know when I when I was there, we we were he's been a five star with Rivals for a while, and you know yep. he, he, in my opinion, when I moved over to one three, that was something we talked about a lot. And of course, he broke his elbow uh, to be, be, to begin the year, and it slowed down his senior season. Uh, but he really finished strong in his final seven games. I think it was around seven sacks, forty tackles, and looked great. And then he comes down to the All American Bowl in San Antonio, um, which I which I attended two weeks ago. And man, he was excellent. I mean, really one of the most consistent guys out there from one on ones all throughout the week. And of course, he had a, a really good game as well with a, a handful of quarterback hurries and a, and a really nice sack as well. So uh, just everything off the field, I, I, we know denies an awesome player. I mean, he is. Look at him physically. I mean, he's he's exactly everything you want. But everything about Denai off the field is what I really love about this kid. I mean, he is everything you could ask for in an individual, uh, as a student, as a person. I mean, th- this is somebody who I think fans are really, really going to get to love. And I'll be honest, if, if you're out there and, and you know you want to talk NIL and, and someone to promote your brand down the road, uh, everyone's going to talk Drew Aller, Nick Singleton, and they deserve it very much. Uh, but Denai Dennis Sutton is, is somebody who um, I think fans are really going to get to know and, and really enjoy. So just happy for him to, to earn that fifth star. He, he just absolutely earned it, and I don't, I don't know how other way to put it. So it's going to be a great class with three five-star players. I think it's 12 or 13 four-star players, and uh, should go down as really probably the second-best class under Franklin. And really, it's kind of 1A, 1B, in my opinion, yeah. uh, and, and one of the best classes in the, top, in the last you know, 20, 30 years here. Yeah, let me put it this way. Fans should get to know him quickly. All right. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. 
Always a pleasure, Ryan. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, let's uh, let's catch up soon. There, there'll be a big weekend here, and uh, yeah. you know, of course, signing day next week. I don't know what. Uh, maybe we're going to talk about somebody. We'll see. We'll see yeah. what happens. We'll see how it plays out. It'll be great. Thanks so much, Ryan. Take care, Steve. Appreciate it. Ryan Slater on three dot com. All right, back tomorrow from Bloomington on News Radio ten seventy WKOK. Okay.